tonight, and uh, this message is about four weeks old now in regards to the fact that we were supposed to start these lessons uh, early on in January, and here it is, uh, the uh, first Wednesday night, of course, of February, but we finally got there. I guess the title actually is wrong, too. I, I call it an introduction to Galatians, and uh, really it's going to be tonight. Just want to give you a, an overview of the book, uh, and we'll look at verses 1 to 5, just in way of introduction Lord willing, next week we'll look at that in more detail, but uh, we'll read verses 1 to 5, and uh, just in way of, again, introduction. So let's read it in unison here tonight, Galatians 1. I'll let you remain seated, and uh, let's read verses 1 to 5 together. Ready? Begin. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be unto you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we see Paul's salutation, his introduction here to this book here. And uh, verse number three, it says, Grace be unto you, a key word in the book, of course. This word grace is found ten times in the first two chapters. And it says, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. There's simple grace. This book is all about grace and simple grace in its purest form. And then we see uh, saving grace in verse number four, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And so he gave, we see saving grace, of course, the grace of God that appears to all men in his Son, the Lord Jesus. And then we see sovereign grace in verses, last part of verse 4 and verse 5. It says, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we want to deal with this book of liberty. And uh, this is a famous uh, a book that's been uh, considered the small pamphlet of, of uh, the size of a small pamphlet. Uh, a precursor to Romans. It's 2,400 words, or about 2,400 words in length. And it's, uh, we catch glimpses of Paul's vision, uh, his keen logic, biting sarcasm, vehement indignation, warm love, and spiritual power. And I mentioned this book has sarcasm, and we're going to find it right off. Of the, well, we'll probably look at it in detail next week in a little bit more detailed way. But he marvels that they're so soon removed from grace and, and, uh, and they, they follow another gospel. Um, these Corinthians said they could be bewitched. And we're going to see in Galatians 3. And so Paul uses sarcasm. I think sarcasm rightly used can be used to teach. And we see it here in the Word of God. And uh, we see vehement indignation in this book, as we're going to touch on it as well. And Paul withstands Peter to the face, we're going to find out. And so uh, sometimes it's all right to get righteously indignant. Other times it's all right to get a little sarcastic. Uh, of course, logic is always in order, it seems like. And then we, we see warm love through this book and spiritual power as well. And so our outline is uh, real simple there, and I stole this directly. This is what I call a direct steal, and so we give credit to whom credit is due. Uh, the overview tonight is from Warren Worsby, and uh, I've used Warren Worsby, most every preacher in America for the last uh, 40, 50 years, has uh, used Warren Worsby in uh, the B-series, it's called. Some of you might be familiar with the books that every preacher uh, pretty much knows about Warren Worsby. But, so he has a three-point outline to chapters 1 through 6 
just glance at the overall outline, first of all, personal grace in the gospel, chapters 1 and 2, and doctrinal grace in the law, chapters 3 and 4, and then, of course, practical uh, grace and grace in the Christian life, chapters 5 and 6. And so we just, again, we just want to touch tonight. The goal is just a, just a brief overview of the, the six small chapters of Galatians, this Living in Liberty book, this this uh, declaration of uh, uh, liberation and emancipation through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll just look at probably a key verse or two of each section here tonight here, and that's the plan anyhow. And so we see Paul's letter A on the worksheet, grace declared in Paul's message in the verses 1 through 10. And then we're, the first two chapters deals with personal, or it's personal, it's the grace received to Paul and, of course, to the church and the gospel. And uh, he talks about his message. And the message is none other than the gospel. Now, the word gospel, we, you, all, you all should know what that Greek word is for the word gospel now. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, but what's that word again? It's uh, uh, good news. means good news, yes. But the Greek word is the word. We have a church in Torrington that stole their name from the... the uh, the word gospel in the Greek language, it's called the something Baptist church in downtown Torrington. Evangelical. Okay, the word, the, the, in, in Greek, just a little Greek lesson here for just a moment. You don't really pronounce the V. It's eangelion. Uh, it's a fancy word. I don't expect you to remember that. But we get our word evangelisti or our word, the word evangelical or evangelist or evangelist, evangelistic all comes from, it's the word good news. It's the word gospel, the God spell, the good news of Jesus Christ. And this, this whole book is about the gospel. Paul's delineating his gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of, uh, of Paul calls it his gospel, my gospel in Romans, in the more elongated version of this book. So we have this message, which is none other than the gospel and the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. And Galatians is God's strongest word against legalism. If you want to get a one-sentence soundbite of what Galatians is, it's God's strongest word against legalism. Not that he's a hero of mine in the faith, but uh, Martin Luther, the, the Protestant reformer, of course, he, this was his wife. He called, her, called Galatians his wife. Uh, he loved this book. And he, uh, now, Martin Luther, by the way, let me just let you know a little secret. He had some serious problems, but he did get saved, I really believe. And um, he called Galatians his wife. But just a little sidebar, he didn't believe that James was even part of the scripture. He didn't believe that James was part of the canon because he couldn't reconcile what it looked like works. And James, he loved the fact that the just shall live by faith. And of course, and he was saved by this emancipation, this proclamation of, of the gospel, free gospel of God. But that's another story. Uh, so we see this grace declared to Paul in Paul's message. And uh, we see this through these verses here, of course, and uh, starting in verse number three again, grace unto be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the weeks to come, we'll dissect in more detail verses six through eight. Just glance at them for now. It says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there would be some that trouble you and would pervert here it is, the gospel of Christ. Here's Paul's message. And boy, he gets really strong in verses 8 and 9, doesn't he? But though we are an angel from heaven, Moroni, 
preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be what? Accursed. That means anathema. It means literally to be accursed or damned by God. It's a, it's a, it's, if I could say this in the proper context, this is God's swear word. This is God, this is where this is, it's anathema to him. To be accursed. How dare you do anything to the grace of God? We'll, we'll expound upon that, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. And uh, then he says it again, verse number nine. As we said before, so say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you, which ye have received, let him be accursed. And so he, he goes on to say, for do I now persuade men or God? He, he knew what God believed. He understood, understood that. God revealed this gospel to him. But he's, he's wanting to declare to these Galatians and to the church in general this pure gospel of the grace of God. So we see letter A on a worksheet, uh, grace declared in Paul's message. But then we notice letter B, grace demonstrated in Paul's life, verses 11 to 24. And let's just skip to verse 13 for sake of time, time's sake, and I'll give you a little four-point P outline, as I call it, or at least letter P. Uh, we see uh, Paul the persecutor in chapter 13, Paul's life. He says, for... Ye have heard of my conversation and my lifestyle, my citizenship in times past in the Jewish religion, how that I, beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And, of course, uh, Paul was, laid down his robes, at a, or they laid down their robes at a young man's feet named Saul, of course, you know the story, and he consented unto the death of Stephen, of course, and many other Christians probably as well. He wreaked havoc on the church. He was a persecutor. So Paul knew his life. Uh, we see in verse number 14, Paul the, the Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee above all the other Pharisees, if you will, or there was no Pharisee any more uh, greater than he was. And he was zealous, he was religious, full of religion, but he was lost. He, was, he had no salvation whatsoever. All his religiosity gave him zero grace, for the grace of God or the gospel. So he... Paul's life was demonstrated, grace was demonstrated in Paul's life. He was a persecutor, he was a Pharisee. Verse 15, uh, we see his preordaining. Now we have hard times with this, but we, we, should, we need to accept what the Bible says. It says, but it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Just a quick sidebar. We see several other men in the Bible that were separated from their womb. Uh, I think most notably in the New Testament would be John the Baptist was uh, separated in, in, the, in his mother's womb, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And he was uh, a foreordained vessel, chosen of God, as we touched on this past Sunday morning, to speak to kings and to princes. And God ordained before Paul was ever born. So we see this preordained. Paul uh, realized that salvation is of the Lord. And I know that's a mystery and. In, in one sense, I get it, I understand that, but uh, we see the, this grace of God in Paul's life preordained. And then uh, verse number 16, we see Paul, the preacher, ordained by God. He said, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So he was ordained by God, but he wasn't, he wasn't accepted by men, as we're going to find out later on in the rest of this chapter. Early on in his ministry, he was a suspect, but he, was, he had his ordination, so to speak, by God Almighty. And so we see this uh, 
grace demonstrated in Paul's life. Let's move on for letter C here. Grace uh, defended in Paul's ministry, chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, and uh, two parts of that, before the church leaders collectively. Just glance at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 2. And Paul's referring to his time in, in uh, when he went to the Jerusalem council, we read about in Acts chapter 15. And it says this in verse number 3, But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now if we were to go back to Titus or Acts 15, verse 1, there were Christians, Jewish Christians that were legalizing, and they said that Titus, and I'm paraphrasing, can't even be saved because he obviously is not even circumcised. And so he's going to, this whole book is a refutation or a rebuttal to this idea that there's works involved with grace. And uh, it's not. And Titus was just as much saved as any Greek or any Gentile or any Jewish believer at that time as well. He says, uh, verse number four, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty, there's a key word of the book, which we gave in Christ Jesus that we, he might bring us into bondage, or that, pardon me, that they might bring us into bondage, again into bondage. And so we see this uh, grace defended in Paul's ministry. First of all, he before the church leaders collectively at the Jerusalem Council, he stood up to these Judaizers, as we're going to find out again in more detail in the weeks to come. But then we see Paul standing up to the great Peter, the, the, the rock of the, the apostles. Of course, Peter's name means, or Petra means, or Petras means little rock. And he stands before Paul, or Peter, and just glance down to verse number 11, it is, for time's sake. Uh, it says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I, that's Paul, withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He would fellowship with Gentile Christians. Remember, he had that great right sheet vision in Acts chapter 10. But when he got around Jewish Christians, he didn't, uh, he didn't have fellowship with them or Gentile, Gentile Christians, and Paul said, shame on you, you're wrong, Paul, you're, or rather Peter, you're wrong, and shame on you, verse number 12, for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Uh, James was a devout Jewish, uh, of course, disciple, half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, but when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, fearing them which were with the circumcision. I'll tell you a little story. So just how this works here. I was with a group of 17 independent Baptist preachers on Monday at the fellowship conference. And it was a very good conference. And I don't want to badmouth any of the guys that I was with. They're all good pastor brothers in and, and the faith. And then yesterday I was with a Southern Baptist, an American Baptist pastor. And uh, I was thinking, you know, he might not be accepted in... Uh, he uses the wrong Bible to begin with in our, our, our uh, belief system, my belief system, of course. But I'll tell you this, he loves the Lord. He's serving the same Lord that I'm serving. Uh, church probably is as evangelistic as ours, or maybe more so. And uh, good church, good, good, good lover of the Lord, a good man of God in a wonderful way. And I was thinking, 
uh, I was thinking, well, if some of my brethren that I was with on Monday knew I was with this guy on Tuesday, they might think less of me. Well, that's wrong. I was, I was thinking wrong to begin with. Maybe none of them think less of me. But uh, here's what happened with Peter got adjusted and had to have an attitude adjustment by Paul. Paul said, shame on you. These brothers are in Christ. They're Gentiles just because they haven't been circumcised according to you and you want to separate from them. Wrong. Shame on you, Peter. And so even the best of Christians can be. We see Peter's problem with sectarianism. Well, so we see these first two chapters deals with personal grace in the gospel. Then we get to chapter 3 and 4. And let's look at verses 1 to 5 for just a, at a glance of chapter 3. And notice, first of all, personal arguments from experience about, about grace and law. Paul begins to say, notice his sarcasm, verse number 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, that's pretty strong language if you think about it. Oh, foolish Harvest Baptist people. You know, if I would say that to you and I would be serious with you, you might be a little offended by that. Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's beguiled you? You're, you're, following a, you're being seduced, satanically seduced. Uh, that ye should not obey the truth, but whose eyes, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently been set uh, forth, crucified among you. This only will I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he digs them even deeper. He says, are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect in the flesh? And uh, he's confronting these Believers in Christ, and he's speaking from personal experience, uh, from the argument of experiences, we're going to find out. Uh, Paul spent his whole earthly life before when he saw Tarsus being a good religious Pharisee, right? And he thought that was, he was zealous towards law. He said, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I live for it to, to be righteous, but he was unrighteous. All of our righteousness and our filthy rags. And our righteousness doesn't come from, you know, as I wear my suit and tie and as I stand at the pulpit here on a Wednesday night and because I'm too, too uh, maybe cocky or too proudful, but no, I just, I don't think so. I'm just, I'm funning a little bit with you, teasing me, say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, we, we could have closed our service tonight. I knew it was going to be a nasty night tonight, but we've closed so much in the last week and a half uh, that I just felt bad about it. I said, don't worry, keep the doors open and whoever comes, comes. And you didn't come because you're a legalist. You came because you love the Lord and you really want to be here, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. And uh, I'm here, uh, hopefully I'm here for the right reason, not because I'm the pastor of an independent Baptist church and I have to be here, <laughs> or uh, no, because for the right attitude and the right motive, of course. And Paul, Paul knew he used to do things for the, for the wrong motive and, uh, and do things to, to show God his, how, how, how godly he was. But he, he traded that in, this walking in the law for walking in grace, as we're going to find out through this book. So we see his personal argument for experience, or from experience. Then, then he goes in chapters 3, verses 6 to 14, scriptural arguments, and he talks about Abraham's faith. And I just want to touch on this. I may, may surprise some of you even in this because you're veterans. But look at just two verses and we'll move forward to the next soundbite. Verse number uh, six. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now verse 11 for time's sake. 
but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Now here's this, this may shock you and sometimes we oversimplify. We say salvation is always all in Jesus. Well, that's true. I'm not arguing the point. But the idea that, that there are even some good independent Baptists and independent Baptist preachers uh, we simplistically say, I've said it many times from the pulpit, and I'll probably still say it if I can paint with a very broad brush. We say the Old Testament saints were, were, look, were saved by looking forward to the cross. Old Testament saints are saved by, uh, New Testament saints are looking, saved by looking back to the cross. Sounds good, and we get amens out of that. But how much of the Lord Jesus Christ did Abraham see? Let me, let me ask you, let me tell you this without, uh, just I'll, I'll maybe startle you a little bit. Can I give you a two-word answer? Not much. Do you think he actually saw the cross of Calvary? And the, now, somebody, because I know you've been, you might say, preacher, are you teaching us heresy? No. Let me give you an example here, just so I don't bury myself here. You think of the disciples. We know this three times specifically, the Lord said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. And three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. He said that no less than three times. How much did they get of that? About zero. And they walked with them for three years. How much do you think Job, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Did he see Calvary's cross? Did Abraham see Calvary's cross? They saw through glass darkly. They saw far off, but they walked by faith. Faith is always the avenue of salvation. For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And we'll expound on that. I'll probably take a whole message on that when we get there, when we get to these passages of Scripture. But Abraham, I got in a debate with a certain independent Baptist preacher, I'll leave unnamed. So, well, they were saved by looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. Sounds good, but... That's not good dispensational. Good, I don't think that's good Bible exegesis, quite frankly. They were saved for the limited knowledge that they had. Yes, Jesus still saved them. Don't misunderstand me, but they didn't, they didn't know Jesus like we know Jesus, can know Jesus, because we look, we look backward. They had to look forward. And uh, so anyhow, I just want to bring that up, to bring that into your attention, if you would, please. And... Uh, well, let's move forward from that here, for time's sake here. Uh, we see Abraham's faith. Then we see chapter 3, chapter three, verses 15 to 29. We see a logical argument in regards to grace versus law. Just glance at verse 21, it is. It says, uh, is law then against the promises of God? Is law bad? No, it's not bad. It serves as a, for a purpose, getting ahead of myself, but as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It says, God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Paul contrasts and he uses logic. He says, law, law is not bad, law is very good. But law can never bring somebody to salvation. No way can that ever happen. Otherwise, God would have given a law that whereby we could keep and whereby we could go to heaven. But no, no, law is to bring us to Christ. So he shows the superiority of grace over law. Enough said for time's sake here. Let's move forward here and go to chapter 4. 
verses 1 to 11. And the key verse that I want to point out is verse number 4, 4, 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. And we'll look at these first 10 verses a number of weeks from now is the plan. And we'll see that we'll see that God works dispensational. He let us see his dispensational argument, dispensational arguments. That word dispensation has to do with time. And God works differently in different time periods. That word we'll study that word dispensation. We're under the age of what we call the age of grace, or sometimes it's called the church age. And this age of grace, this time of this dispensational time where God works differently than he worked in the Old Testament and worked differently than he worked in uh, the garden and worked differently than he worked in the time of Noah and the time of Moses and so forth. And so we have several, we believe, seven distinct dispensations, dispensational periods of time. And uh, grace trumps uh, the law or dispensational law every single time, of course. And so we see the dispensational argument. Letter E, chapter 4, 12, 12 to 18, we see a sentimental argument. And I wanted to end early tonight here on purpose here. Let me give you letter F. We see an allegorical argument. And we'll read about Abraham's two sons, one freeborn, one of the bondwoman, Hagar. Most of you know that argument, but or that that old... Genesis passage of scripture about Hagar and Ishmael, of course, and Sarah and Isaac, of course. But let's get to chapter 5 and 6 and just hurry through this if we could. We see grace in the Christian life. First of all, we see liberty, not bondage in chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free. There's many churches. We have a church down the road here named Liberty Baptist Church. Good name for a church. Nothing wrong with that name. It's a great name for a church, Liberty Baptist Church. And uh, there's a difference between liberty and licentiousness. Uh, But uh, I want you to know that uh, liberty is a good word. We're going to find out. Stand fast, therefore, in liberty, where the Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so we see this. uh, We're going to find that in detail in the first half of chapter chapter 5. Then the last half of the chapter, verses 16 to 26, we see the spirit and the flesh, or not spirit, pardon me, not the flesh. And of course, those famous verses about uh, the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And I know they're familiar to almost everybody in this room here already. And so we'll see the contrast. Religion breeds fleshly uh, effort and exertion. And uh, of course, uh, Christianity and Lord Jesus Christ yields the fruit of the Spirit. Then we get to chapter 6, verses 1 to 10. The key verse would be verse number 2, which surmise and fill in the letter C. It would be others, not self. The Bible says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If coming to church was just for us, no, I'm not trying to end on a sour note at all. How many would, if you just come to church would be for your own personal benefit, how many would have came tonight? <laughs> I probably wouldn't be here myself <laughs> if it was just for me because it's, you know, a tough night to get out. It's cold, nasty, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's, 
it's rainy and so forth, and we can easily make excuse like, well, let's not come on a lousy night. If you go out to eat tonight or whatever, you might say, no, I don't want to go out to eat. I don't have to, so I'm not going to go out. But, but uh, why do we come to church? Back to the point. Well, we come for others too. Don't forget that. Maybe we should come for Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. So that's the motivator to come to church. And uh, so not for others, but for self, or not self, but for others rather. Letter D and last one, verses 11 through 18, and last verse is verse number 14. For God's glory, not for man's approval. Everything we do is not for man's, man's glory, or man's approval rather, but uh, for, for God's approval. Uh, look at what it says, verse 14 of chapter 6. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. And they, they thought less in the preceding verses. They, they began to think less of Paul. They thought he's turned into a compromiser. He's turned into a liberal. And uh, because he's talking, talking all this grace stuff, and he says, hey, I only glory one thing, the cross of, I don't glory in my own works righteousness. I glory in the cross of Calvary. And so we thank the Lord for his glory or for his grace here tonight. Let's, let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, uh, help us to walk in your grace. Lord, bless each person that was, took the time to come out tonight. Lord, bless those that couldn't come out tonight or even didn't come out tonight. For uh, Maybe they could have and they, they chose not to. We pray for our prayer blessing on them as well. Lord, help us to walk in humility and spirit. May you receive all the glory and honor, we pray. Dismiss us thy blessing tonight. Lord, bless our church, your church, in the weeks to come and the days ahead. And we'll thank you for it. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All God's people said, Amen. We'll end with that here.